Coming up on this week's show, Erin McCullen is here to talk to us about her new book, Clean Break. This is the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. Each week, we bring you exclusive author interviews, book recommendations, and explore the latest in gay pop culture. Welcome, everybody, to episode 182 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. I'm Will from WillKnaus.com, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Mr. Jeff Adams. Hi, everybody. This episode of the show is brought to you in part by our remarkable community on Patreon. We'll have more information on how you can join them at the end of the show, along with a sneak peek of what we have coming up for you next week. So please stick around until then. We hope everyone has had a fantastic week, a week filled with lots of reading and, uh, well, I don't know, whatever else floats your boat, I guess. <laughs> um, as you can probably tell, we sound terrible. Uh, we are living in a plague house. Um, super, super sick. And uh, we're going to try to get through this week's episode without dying. Yeah, there that's, you go. That's our, that's our one goal. That is the goal. I apparently brought the plague back from New York last week, <sighs> and it's, it's been dreadful. Yeah. Yes. Uh, on the news side, uh, we're happy to say that we are headed back to the LA Times Festival of Books in just a couple weeks on April 13th and 14th. Uh, once again, that's being held at the University of Southern California campus. Dreamsbetter Press and Interlude Press are both exhibiting again this year and have some good authors on the way to hang out with the readers. If you're going to be there, do let us know because we'd love to say hello to you because it's always fun to see our, our listeners out in the world. You can get all the festival details at events.latimes.com slash festival of books, or you could just look for the link in the show notes page right here on the Big Gay Fiction Podcast to get details on that as well. Yeah, so uh, if you have the opportunity, come and visit us in L.A. Yeah, could be a good time. Um, something that we have been up to this past week while we've been trying to get over illness symptoms, mm. uh, we've been binging a couple of different television shows. Recently, we uh, sampled The Other Two, uh, which is a 10-episode short series that uh, recently ended its run on Comedy Central. So we've been checking that out on demand, and it is genuinely hilarious um i i don't know why it took me so long to sample this show it's been showing up in sort of my news feed online and i finally decided to give it a go and i'm really really glad we did um the other two is the story of a brother and sister and they have been uh trying to make a go of it in new york city and having a terrible time of it when suddenly their uh preteen brother uh, becomes internationally famous when he releases a song on like YouTube or Instagram or whatever. Uh, he he releases this song called "I Want to Marry You at Recess," <laughs> and he becomes like an international superstar. And the show is about how uh, this brother and sister duo sort of deal with their kid brother's like fifteen minutes of fame. Um, she ends up. Uh, becoming his personal assistant to a uh, rather hilarious effect. And um, the the older brother um, ends up becoming famous by proxy when uh, Chase, uh, the kid brother's name is Chase Dreams, just so you know what kind of stuff we're dealing with here. <laughs> um, Chase releases a follow-up song called My Brother is Gay and That's Okay. Um, so he <laughs> sort of has to deal with the... Um, fallout of becoming uh, sort of tangentially famous. It's all 
utterly ridiculous and very, very funny. It's written by written and created by a, a pair of staff writers at SNL. Uh, so we highly recommend that you check it out. If you watch it on demand like we have been, uh, be sure and stick around for the end of the episodes because there's like a little mini webisode at the, uh, uh, at the end. Mm-hmm. where the creators talk to uh, several of the different actors from the series. Um, it's really funny, and we highly recommend you give it a look and check it out. Yeah, I have adored this. I'm so glad you found it, because it is hysterical, uh, and it's it's peppered with so many incredible guest stars. You'd be like, wait, is that so-and-so? Well, yes, it is, because they film right there in New York, and apparently they know everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's been really a delightful thing to to fall into. Yeah, so check out the other two uh, on demand on Comedy Central. Another show that we recently sampled this past week is Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionists. And it recently began its 10-episode run on Freeform. Um, the Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionists is essentially a continuation of of the older show, uh, a show that, uh, worth noting, we did not watch. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> not even one episode, I think. <laughs> no, but uh, this series follows uh, two of the protagonists from the previous show, uh, and they are now working at a college in Oregon. And the story revolves around a group of rich kids, duh, and the sort of shenanigans and weird uh, stuff that they get up to. At the end of the very first episode, one of those rich kids ends up dead, and there is a whole plethora of people who had a perfectly good reason for doing it. So it's kind of part murder mystery, part like scandalous melodrama, and um, while... I, I said to Jeff, I don't necessarily think this show is good. I think it's actually really interesting. Um, the first two episodes have uh, opened up a lot of possibilities. Uh, so I am willing to stick around to see where this show goes. So one of the reasons we gave this show a try is because we saw that there was one of the main three trio is gay. And uh, we wanted to give it a try because we like to, you know, of course, sample shows with gay characters. And so far, I think our sampling here has gone really well. As you said, it's, it's quite interesting, the possibilities. So we're going to keep watching this. And you could also check out Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionist on Freeform. And if you've missed the first few episodes, you could check it out on Freeform On Demand. Hi, I'm Jay from the LGBTQ romance review blog, Joyfully Jay. At Joyfully J, we review tons of LGBTQ romance, as well as romantic fiction and nonfiction. We review ebooks, audiobooks, and even the occasional movie. We typically review about 18 books a week, so Joyfully J is a great place to hear about new releases, catch up on books you may have missed, and find some new favorites. In addition to our reviews, each weekday we host an author as our first post of the day. This gives readers a chance to learn more about new releases get exclusive excerpts, find out about the author, and participate in great giveaways. Each author post on Joyfully J is exclusive, so you get access to book and author information you can't find other places. At Joyfully J, we love LGBTQ romance and are excited to share it with you. Stop by the blog at joyfullyj.com. You can also visit us on our Facebook group, The Joyful Jays. We'd love to have you join us. So the first book we've got to talk about this week is one that I so totally fell head over heels for. It's called The Spy's Love Song uh, by Kim Fielding. It's the first in a series called Stars from Peril. And it had some really good peril in here, too. So let's let's get into this. So we've got rock star 
and secret agent on a mission to a foreign country to topple a dictator, and it's all wrapped up in a Dreamspun Desires package. That combination pushed all of my romantic suspense button, and I had no choice but to pick up this book, and I loved it every bit as much as I thought I would. I was in tropey goodness heaven. We've got the rock star thing, we've got a bodyguard vibe, we've got lovers on the run, and there's even some forced proximity thrown in here along the way too. Jackson Powers is a jaded rock star who's at the end of a long tour, and after waking up in a hotel room barely remembering what happened the night before, he might just be ready for a change in lifestyle too. He gets a lot more than he bargained for when his manager brings him to a meeting with the State Department of all things. It seems the dictator that runs the small country of Vesnitsia is a fan and wants Jackson to perform a private concert as well as a large outdoor one for a workers' festival. The U.S. wants Jackson to do this because it's a chance to improve U.S. relations with the Russian-supported dictator. The only person going with Jackson on this trip is secret agent Reed Stanfill. Now, besides keeping Jackson safe, Reed's got his own agenda that has some global ramifications in it. So I fell in love with this book right from the beginning. Kim just plays with expectations right from the start of the book. While Jackson appears to be that spoiled rock star, we quickly find out that this is not really what he wants to be. He's a small town boy doing what he loves, playing the music, but he wants some more substance out of his life than just wandering around and getting whatever he wants and having whoever he wants. The trip to Vesnitsia does exactly this as it really kind of tweaks his entire worldview uh, in just a few short days. Not only does Jackson end up traveling without an entourage that he's used to, but as Reed's mission goes sideways, the two actually end up on the run. Reed is there to destabilize the country and actually force elections. And that, of course, makes him an enemy of the state. Despite his fear, Jackson won't leave Reed to fend for himself. He knows his celebrity can protect both of them, and he sticks by Reed, even as Reed tries occasionally to force him to safety. Um, just the, the things that these two get into and the, and the, the things that Jackson actually agrees to or forces Reed into is just a joy to see. And of course, all of these crazy events could result easily in either of them dying. <laughs> but somehow through all that, Jackson and Reed manage to start a romance. Reed knows this is a bad idea because they're in a country where homosexuality is illegal, but they still manage to give in to their passions. And that's just the beginning as they start to share stories about their pasts. And of course, that only endears them more to each other. The mix between the romance and the suspense is really perfect here. Kim gives the guys time to fall in love, even while things around them go crazy. So they get those nice little moments together. Uh, I like that Kim actually avoided the usual Dreamspun scenario of having alternating points of view. Everything in this story is Jackson, and that works perfectly because we don't want to know Reed's mission too early. It makes for some extremely snappy reading as we go on the same roller coaster that Jackson's on as he kind of experiences the, wait, what? We're doing this? What's happening? What? Uh, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. Kim also brings Vesnitsia to life through its people. It starts out with the guides who take Jackson around the country, giving him a peek kind of behind the propaganda. And as he meets fans who he has to like covertly speak to, there's one adorable scene where he has a whole conversation while he ties his shoe because he doesn't want to make it too obvious that he's talking to a couple of fans. 
and as he goes through all this, he, he, he really starts to understand why Reed's mission is so important to help liberate these people. Um, and ultimately, it's these people who shelter Reed and Jackson and help them complete their mission. Uh, and I have to say, it all ends with a particularly awesome assist uh, from Jackson. I have to give a particular shout out to Drew Baca, who does a great job on the audiobook, including having to sing Jackson's songs. Uh, I don't know how Kim wrote these lyrics, and I, I really have to ask her sometime, because there's a whole song that gets sung at, some, uh, at a point in this book. As I said, this is the first book in Stars from Peril, uh, from Kim and in the Dreamspun Desires line. The second book, Redesigning Landry Bishop, comes out in May, and she just recently announced a third book that's under contract that's going to involve a prince. And if you've listened enough, you know I have a real thing for royalty books. So I am looking very forward to seeing where Kim takes this series, and I very highly, highly recommend The Spy's Love Song by Kim Fielding. So I know this week you read from one of your very favorite authors. What have you got for us? Oh, yeah. Uh, I recently read Take Two by Ari McKay. And uh, this is just one of those books that just like made me so very, very happy. Um, Take Two uh, is the story of Reese and Thomas. They are co-workers on a very popular zombie show. Uh, Reese is the stunt coordinator and Thomas is one of the stars. Now, there is a photograph that made it into the tabloids. Uh, actually, a pretty innocent photograph, but uh, they built it up into like something, you know, scandalous. It's like, ooh, who is Thomas dating now? And unfortunately, Reese's parents have seen this photo and they're actually really excited because they have been pushing Reese to like get, you know, get back, uh, get back out there. Uh, unfortunately, his husband died several years earlier. Uh, and so they've been kind of encouraging him to like, you know, find love again and that sort of stuff. And they're like so genuinely happy for him when this like picture is leaked to the media that he doesn't like really know how to tell them that it's like well no it's actually nothing at all so the <laughs> so Reese and Thomas come up with this uh, hatch this plan uh, Thomas is going to accompany Reese when he goes back home uh, once you know shooting is for the series has wrapped they're gonna go back home to uh, North Carolina and uh, Thomas is going to pretend to be Reese's boyfriend uh, so that you know the parents can be happy and then at a later date they'll like break up and you know the the standard fake boyfriend <laughs> trope it's all gonna work out fine uh unfortunately of course it doesn't the thing is is that thomas has had his eye on reese for uh quite a while now um but he's you know he knows what you know happened in the past with his husband so he's trying to be respectful and a good friend but he's thinking well maybe this fake boyfriend thing will eventually lead to like a fake boyfriend with benefits situation and and maybe we can see where things go after that so uh they kind of pretend to be all lovey-dovey in front of uh, Reese's parents uh, that of course uh, leads to genuine feelings as they get to know each other more and more um, what was really nice is that there are several essentially dates that they uh, end up going on uh, like in various areas around like North Carolina and the area that kind of sort of thing and it's actually it's this is a genuinely sweet book. I really like these two main characters an awful lot. Uh, they're very, very nice. Uh, you know, I like my nice boys. Um, and there's actually a genuinely 
several sweet moments where um, Reese finds out that uh, Thomas likes to have his hair brushed after he gets out of, out of the shower. It's so, it's just, <laughs> it's syrupy sweet and sounds so stupid when I say that, but it's actually, oh, it made me so very, very happy. So uh, eventually, um, Reese uh, realizes that he's starting to have genuine feelings as well. And um, uh, because of uh, fear, he lets fear stand in the way. He kind of pushes Thomas away. Um, and that's, uh, you know, a pretty standard trope when it comes to this sort of thing. But what was really nice about this particular story is is that um, Reese is constantly insisting that, you know, he's fine and he's moved on after the death of his spouse. Uh, but in reality, uh, he hasn't. He's just really pushed the, those feelings of grief down uh, and he hasn't dealt with them in a particularly constructive way. So when he finds himself in this situation with Thomas, he really has to deal with those genuinely for the very first time. Um, so uh, there's uh, there are certain moments where I, I wanted to like shake Reese. It's like, ah, get a grip. He's perfect for you. Stop it. <laughs> I felt that way as a reader, but um, genuinely uh, as a person, I had great empathy for him as a, you know what he was going through and, and what he had to do. So eventually, uh, yes, he does come to and he realizes that you know he's found the, uh, the new man of his dreams uh, and they patch things up and live happily ever after. So I really enjoyed I mean obviously I enjoy I enjoy all of Ari's books so I heck recommend everyone check out uh, Take Two by Ari McKay and can I just say the cover is gorgeous it is it's very very nice and I can see why that man would like to have his hair combed because <sighs> you know gorgeous so I read another book uh, this week uh, to get ready to talk to our guest uh, Clean Break by Aaron McCullen um, I have to say I almost didn't pick this book up because I couldn't imagine reading a book that included the characters taking care of a Madagascar hissing, hissing cockroach. Because I get a little skeeved by bugs. Um, and the trigger warning page actually discusses more about the inclusion of the bugs than really anything else in the book. But I'm glad I listened to the reassurances that I wouldn't be creeped out. Because this is one terrific book. And the bugs really are a non-thing, which you'll hear even more about in the interview. Uh, this book is the second in Aaron's Farm College series and throws together Connor Bloom and Travis Bedford, uh, two guys who do not like each other very much uh, on the aftermath of a very awkward failed hookup. As their final college term begins, they are actually taking a class together, Entomology 101, hence the bugs. Uh, and because the professor likes students to sit alphabetically, they are right next to each other. In fact, it's quite cute as Connor's doing the alphabet in his head, trying to figure out if there could possibly be anybody between Bedford and Bloom. And of course, there's not in this class. Uh, their dislike for each other radiates off of them during that during the first class. I can't imagine like sitting around them because you can just, in the pages, just feel it pulsating off of them. Um, Connor's OCD and anxiety flare up just being near the guy uh, who he is still wildly attractive to and desperately wants to have a real conversation with. Travis has the attraction too, but he carries the anger from that previous hookup. Uh, it only gets worse as they get the assignment that they'll be carrying for the uh, hissing cockroaches and that they'll have to answer discussion questions together throughout the semester. Uh, it doesn't take long for the sparks of dislike, however, to turn into sparks of desire, and they end up spending time after nearly every class in a storage closet making out. 
neither of them is particularly happy that they're giving in to their desires, which really honestly only makes these scenes uh, cuter and hotter as they like try to like be be mean to each other in the storage closet all the while nibbling on each other. It's, it's really quite endearing uh, for the reader. Travis wants the fussy farmer and Connor very much wants the standoffish English major. Now, even as their makeout sessions start to cool off their hatred, they realize that they're also constrained by time. After graduation, Connor is set to take over the management of his parents' farm. And even though he doesn't necessarily want to do that, he feels the family obligation to do so. Meanwhile, Travis can't wait to get out of the small Oklahoma town for a legal aid internship, and then he goes off to law school. The guys have their futures mapped out, and as is so often the case uh, for young people, things are, you know, very much, you know, I have to do this thing, this is the thing I'm doing, I can't deviate from this thing, I must do the thing. And uh, unfortunately, that at the same time doesn't stop them from becoming very emotionally entangled. Uh, Aaron does such a terrific job of bringing these two together. As they move their hookups to the bedroom, uh, Travis discovers he likes Connor's controlling side and gives himself over to it. And Connor is very sweet with this and never takes advantage of it. He makes sure that he always gets Travis's consent and that Travis is enjoying himself. Because even while he enjoys being in control, he can't stand the thought of like doing something wrong to somebody. Uh, and this even continues as Travis reveals that he likes to be spanked. And both guys kind of discovered that this is exactly what they needed uh, to be in those roles. Beyond the sex, though, their efforts to not get too attached aren't helped by their post-sex talks. Travis usually wants Connor to tell him a story. And in fact, it's very cute. It's like, as they're laying there cuddling, Travis will just go, so tell me a story. And this is where uh, Connor really gets to open up, talk a little bit about his anxieties, his OCD, this predetermined future that he's on. There's so much going on for him. As a reader, I occasionally really just wanted to wrap Connor up in a hug and be like, it is okay. And to somehow ease his load. And Travis actually also starts to feel this way. And we learn more from Travis, too, as Connor gets him to open up about what's driving him so hard. And we learn about the dreams that he has lost uh, because of an accident that happened in his senior year of high school. And it's part of what drives him to not want to give up on the plans that he's now got for himself. Just as great as Erin was at bringing them together, man, does she drive these two apart as graduation draws closer. Uh, it's really tough as Connor and Travis force themselves apart uh, to go on their separate journeys. And she really does a number on the characters as they emotionally hurt themselves and each other to make sure they keep to their plans. They want to talk to each other so badly, and yet they, they won't text, they won't call, they won't see each other. They, they drive themselves apart before graduation even happens. And for Connor, this is particularly bad for his OCD. And some of the things that happen in the book there, again, you just want to take Connor and make him all better. Now, of course, this is a romance, so all must end happy. And thankfully, Aaron gets the two guys back together with some of the grandest of grand gestures. Uh, it was such a worthy ride to be on this. I really look forward to reading other books in Farm College. I want to go back to the first one, and she'll talk in the interview about some other, some other plans she's got for this series. So I very highly recommend uh, Farm College by Erin McCullen. Did you know that podcasts love to get reviews too? Taking a moment to leave a review about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast helps us with the show's visibility online. 
please take a moment to visit iTunes and leave a review. Your comments help other readers of Gay Romance discover this show. Thanks for helping us spread the word about the Big Gay Fiction Podcast. So I did have the pleasure this week of talking to Erin McCullen about Clean Break, the Farm College series, as well as her origins as a writer. Welcome, Erin, to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here. You're a new-to-me author, and I just finished uh, reading Clean Break, which I have to tell you, I adored so much. I'm reviewing it. Right before we get into the interview segment, I'll have reviewed it to kind of tell everybody about it. Yay, thank you. It is the second book in your Farm College series. So before we dive into Clean Break, uh, tell us more about what the Farm College series is about. Okay, um, so it's... It's just two books so far, like you said, um, and they are set in um, a fictional college in western Oklahoma. Um, and I would say kind of the over overarching themes are, since they're college stories, they're new adult, it's kind of coming of age and self-discovery, um, finding your authentic self, um, finding a home is kind of a big one. I think that's kind of important at that age. You've moved out of your parents' house or wherever you grew up for a lot of people and kind of figuring out what is home, what is family, that kind of thing. So those types of themes are are, are kind of follow both books. Um, they're both kind of angsty, to be honest, though controlled burn more so than clean break, actually. Oh, my <laughs> so kind goodness. Of be prepared. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, and I think in terms of the the setting is really important to me, at least as the author um, in those books, it was important to me. I'm from Oklahoma. I live in Alaska now, but I'm from Oklahoma. Um, and it's important to me to write stories that are, are set in Oklahoma that have, you know, LGBTQIA plus characters in Oklahoma. And I know as somebody that reads a lot of romance, I don't see that very often. I don't see... Um, romance set there or or it might be I have seen it where it's you know characters that are like escaping Oklahoma which mm -hmm. certainly is the case for a lot of people but it's uh it's also the case that people live and love and, and make their lives there and I, I kind of want to show that does a farm college like this exist in Oklahoma is it based on a real place um, no, kind of, I guess. Um, a lot of the kind of small details uh, mirror Oklahoma State, which was my alma mater uh, for undergrad, but Oklahoma State is much bigger than the college that I've created. Small uh, Farm College is kind of a, a smaller <laughs> college in Western Oklahoma that I've created. But um, in terms of being, you know, having a strong agriculture program, but also um, kind of having this liberal arts situation that's going on in a pretty vibrant uh, LGBTQIA community. Um, I've kind of made most of that up. <laughs> so. And I agree that we don't see, I mean, besides books set in Oklahoma, really the more rural settings kind of, it's always escaping from those places. And I like that you kind of built a place as, as if you, this is what you'd like to see, even if it doesn't quite exist there now. Right. And I think it's kind of funny when I, I started writing Controlled Burn. Um, it was pre-2016, right? And I, I kind of had this 
you know, I kind of had this idea that it's getting better, right? It's looking up (laughs) for for lots of communities. And um, I'm not sure if that's necessarily the case anymore. I hope it will be. And I hope it is eventually. But, um, you know, there's good and bad, I think, about places like Oklahoma and Kansas and, and Texas. And, and you know, Oklahoma is really special to me. It's really important to me. Kansas, the same. Um, but there's also problems. And, I, you know, I, I want to kind of write those stories. Mm-hmm. And I also think thinking about Oklahoma or Texas probably more so, a lot of the romances that I've read that are set there are like ranch, you know, the cowboys, the farmers, which there is kind of a farmer and clean break, but, um, there's a lot of people that live in Oklahoma and in Texas and Kansas that aren't cowboys. So I wanted to tell that story too. Right. And you, and you really hint at that a little bit with some of the dialogue between Travis and Connor and clean break too, as they kind of talk about the difference between cowboy and, and the more of the farmer type that Connor and his family are. Right. Uh, and so as we kind of move this direction, tell us, tell us what Clean Break's about and kind of who Travis and Connor are. Right. So, so Clean Break is about Travis and Connor. Uh, Travis is, uh, he's the best friend in Controlled Burn. So if you've read Controlled Burn, you see quite a bit of him. Um, he's an English major. He's from Houston, Texas. Um, very ambitious. He's got these kind of life plans. Um, and nothing's going to slow him down, right? Um, he wants to go to law school. He's got an internship after uh, for the summer. He He's planning to move to St. Louis eventually to work at this legal aid charity. He has this very, you know, set goals. Um, and he's also kind of uh, a unique, quirky, funny character to me. Um, and then you have Connor who, who comes in and at I don't know if I would say at the beginning of the book, it's more like pre-book before the book happens. They have a little bit of a failed hookup in a lot of ways, um, some misunderstandings. And so they don't like each other very much. And then in the first uh, chapter, they get paired together as class partners in a class. Um, And Connor is a farm boy. Um, He's kind of a townie, right? He's from Elkville, which is the, the city that it's set in. Um, he's expected to take over the family farm. And so he's got this, you know, he kind of, his future plans are, are set, right? He doesn't have a say over them. Um, and he, he's, I, I have a big soft spot in my heart for him. He's got, uh, anxiety. He has OCD. Um, I, I really wanted to kind of write against the archetype of the like lackadaisical cowboy or, um, even like the kind of the hard cowboy or, you know, that, that kind of archetype that I had in my head, I wanted to write a sensitive farm boy who's in therapy and, um, you know, doesn't really match some of the, the people that are the characters that I have seen written that way. Um, and kind of the main issue between them first is that they don't like each other, (laughs) um, but they're attracted to each other. Right. Um, and but but the kind of the main two things that I wanted to do with the book is I wanted to write uh, complex, authentic characters um, that are really well-rounded and, and hopefully I, I accomplish that. And then the other thing that I really wanted to do was um, kind of write two people that are heading towards their future, which is graduation and then, you know, the future beyond and then their futures don't 
mesh. There's not really a way to to come together at the end of graduation. They're, they're moving in different directions. Um, and I think that's a really universal thing for people in college that are dating and dating seriously. Do you compromise your future for somebody else? Do you do you change it? How, how do you make it work? So those are kind of the two the two things that I really wanted to to hit on. And of course, there's um, you know there's some kink that happens in the book and kind of self discovery with that, especially on Connor's part. Um, so there's a lot a lot going on, but those, those two things the the characterization and uh, the conflict there with their futures not meshing are the two things I really wanted to hit. And I think you did them both. I mean, really well. This, this book has so much going on in it, and yet it never, the story also never gets weighed down either with the weight of everything that's kind of moving around here. Thank and you. really starting them off as enemies who sort of move to friends to sort of get to lovers. Right. Um, <laughs> just that progression was so fun to watch unfold as they both pick at each other and then also help each other grow at the same time. It's like they they're, they they lift each other up and kind of tear each other down at the same time. Right. And I, I, I hope that that is realistic. I think people, because in a lot of ways they are kind of mean to each other at certain points and people can be mean to each other in, in real life, especially they're not very old. You know, they're 21, 22. Um, so they kind of make stupid mistakes sometimes and say things that can be hurtful and, and then have to figure out how how to make it better. Mm-hmm. And I, I think with Connor too, you talked about writing against the archetypes and just having kind of the, the anxiety plus the OCD and being, you know, a young gay man in that setting really just sets up so much for him in that situation. Right. Yeah. He has a lot going on. He's, He's bi, actually, and... Um, right. I'm sorry. You're right. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, kind of a lot. I mean, it is a lot, and I think it's uh, a lot for him to kind of deal with all at the same time. What was your research on the on the mental health side of it to kind of figure out what traits to, to weave into his personality? Um. So I did a lot of research and I had some readers too that, that read it for me. Um, one of the main things that I really looked at was kind of the myths, especially with OCD, kind of the myths surrounding OCD. I think a lot of people think um, it's just, you know, a, a cleanliness thing or even an organizational thing where they, you know, people with OCD have an impulse to organize or clean um, and that's not really how it presents for a lot of people. A lot of people have intrusive thoughts, which he has. Um, or, you know, they, they have checking where he checks the expiration dates on, on food and he can't kind of stop doing that, even though he knows he shouldn't be doing it and it's not healthy for him to do. Um, and so I did a lot of research about the myths and um, the different ways that it presents for people and and kind of the hardships that it causes them. And I also really wanted to make sure that I, I kind of made it clear it's something he'll always deal with, right? It's not going away. Um, and so it's really, I, I did a lot of research on how to manage it, how, you know, how to kind of continue life dealing with a, a mental health problem like that. 
Yeah, I just so often I wanted to just give him a hug when he was starting yeah. to lapse into it. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. This is happening. The what what you did through the black moments, and I, I I don't want to give spoilers for folks who you know need to read the book, but what you did through the black moments for both Connor and Travis as they dealt with their emotions, and for Connor how those emotions kind of manifest themselves in his OCD was really just. I really liked seeing two young adults kind of come to grap grapple with all of that. Yeah, and I think that that's, I think it's pretty normal when you're more stressed, right? For when there's more and more stress for, um, you know, the OCD to kind of build on itself. This The same with anxiety, like whenever I'm really stressed about stuff, my anxiety is going to be worse uh, about small things. <laughs> you know, they, you can kind of blow them out of proportion. Um, I know I do that. Um, and so I was kind of trying to show that how it's like as things got more stressful for him with graduation looming and with kind of this relationship with Travis that's not going the way he wants it to go, it does kind of snowball, snowball for him. And, and it's kind of snowballs for Travis too, just in different ways. Um, because he doesn't, you know, he doesn't have uh, anxiety or OCD, of course, but uh, you know, he struggles just kind of the same way. Now you, when you were talking about what this book's about, you left out one of its major points. <laughs> the bugs. <laughs> was the inclusion of the, of the hissing cockroaches. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that idea even come from? So um, I knew I wanted to put them in a class together, um, that I wanted them to be class partners. And uh, But Travis is an English major and Connor is an agriculture sciences, um, agribusiness major. And so I knew it had to be like a gen ed class for at least one of them. And so I really started thinking about the gen ed class that I had taken as an English major whenever I was an undergrad trying to figure out what class would make sense. And then I realized that I actually had taken an ag class that was entomology 101. Um, and I loved it. I, you know, I held like tarantulas and we, I held millipedes and <laughs> I could see myself being that like weird bug girl a little bit. I just loved it. Um, and so I, I kind of, that's kind of how I decided to put them in an entomology class. And it, it's funny because, I mean, I do think that college is one of those times to take the weird class and do the weird thing. And so I think it kind of made sense there. And I also felt like it gave a degree of kind of humor and lightness. I thought it, it would to the story. But I realize now that a lot of readers maybe don't like bugs. <laughs> so it's something that's like a little distressing to some people. Um, when I took the entomology class, we had an assignment where we had that exact assignment with the Madagascar hissing cockroaches, um, where we had to take them home and observe them. Um, and so, you know, for an entire semester, I had a Madagascar hissing cockroach in my dorm room with me. Um, <laughs> I never took it out of its box. I like, you know, I fed it like carrots through the little hole that it couldn't get out of. Um, 
And so I thought it would be fun to put that in, in the story. Um, and I can tell you that for the readers, the, the cockroaches do not escape ever. They never, there's no uh, like unexpected cockroach scenes, I promise. Yeah. And I, I can, I can vouch for that. There are no <laughs> unexpected scenes. And in fact, I had to check, I had to ask about that before I took the book on to read. I know. Like, mm, bugs. I don't know about that. <laughs> I know. I have put it in the trigger warnings for the book and I, and on my website, it really does lay out kind of scene by scene where they're at and kind of the degree that they're on the page and they're not on the page that much. No, they're not. And I, I never got squirmy reading it either. Cause I really don't like bugs, but I was totally fine with how this turned out. So yeah, I know it's, I don't know why it hadn't occurred to me that it would gross people out. Um, at that point it was too late <laughs> when it like finally hit me. I was like, well, can't do anything about it. But I kind of thought they were funny. Well, I think it really fits with all the, the whole ag culture of the college that of course they're going to end up with bugs or whatever and have to learn about them so right it all it all meshed in together and like you said there's no point where they're escaping or you know being gross they're just kind of there right i likened it's, it to you know the the, the, the the those those classes sometimes you take in high school where you're having to take care of the the doll for a week or whatever and in this case you're hanging out with a cockroach so. Right. It's kind of like a little pet <laughs> for them for the semester. So is there more planned for the Farm College series? Um, I have not kind of set plans. I do want to write a story for Alex. Um, he's in both books. He's not in Controlled Burn for very much, though his part is kind of important in Controlled Burn. Um, but he's a best, he's a friend of Connor's really in clean break. Um, and I do want to give him a story and, and I will, I'll probably start writing that soon. Um, kind of beyond that, I don't know how much more I'll write in the farm college series. So I do want to do a spinoff. Um, that's kind of several years in the future. So they're not really in college anymore. And I want to do a, an FF romance for Desi and Lena. So I would start Yay. here for them. Yeah, I, I would I would totally read that book because one of the things you did in in Clean Break and I'm and I'm sure you established it back in Controlled Burn too was just the tight community of friends that Travis and Connor both have, and even like the strong family presence um, of Connor's family and how they support him. So it would be great to see yeah, more of so all of that. Yeah, and I definitely I. I think I, I did that a little bit more successfully in, in Clean Break for sure, where they have very, um, very supportive families and they do have kind of a big wide friend group. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that, glad that you like that, but I do want to do the FF romance for Lena and Desi kind of, but Lena is quite young in this book. She's 20. Um, and so I, I want to give her a little bit of time to, to grow up, I guess. Yeah, that's cool. Now, you've got another series out there called Love Life. And tell us a little bit about what, what, what goes on in that series. Um, sure. So that's also, uh, they're both male-male romances um, set in Oklahoma, eastern Oklahoma, for the first book, uh, Life on Pause. Um, they're kind of small-town romances there. Um, the first one is about a, a guy that works at a homestead kind of prairie museum. Um, they're kind of common in Oklahoma where 
the people that work there have to dress in like the historical costumes of the time. Um, so he works at a, that type of museum and then he uh, is paired with a high school choir teacher. Um, and it's kind of them trying to fall in love and figure out how their relationship will work. It's definitely kind of lighter in tone than the, the farm college series, but is still a little angsty. The second book in the series, um, life of bliss is more novella length. It's a little shorter and it's very tropey. It's um, kind of two people that don't like each other very much, but are fooling around kind of behind their friends' backs. Um, they agree to be fake boyfriends for a family wedding um, in Arkansas. And Arkansas kind of, well, it has this, historically in the area, it was the only state that didn't have a waiting period for marriage licenses. Now, most of the states don't, but back in the day, you know, they made you like test for syphilis and all kinds yeah. of stuff that um, extended the marriage license period. So Arkansas was kind of the place where people would go for their shotgun weddings, um, historically. And so this is going back quite a ways. But um, in this book, they they go to a wedding in Arkansas, they get drunk at the wedding, um, and basically end up getting married themselves. Um, it's set in Eureka Springs, Arkansas for the wedding part. And I don't know if, if anybody would be familiar with that, but, um, you can get married practically anywhere in Eureka Springs. It's kind of an economy there. So it's quite easy to get married. Um, and that's what happens. So it's kind of fake dating to accidental marriage. Fake dating to accidental marriage. I like yeah. those. Those are some favorite tropes right there. Yeah. It's a fun one, I think. So what is your writing origin story? You've got these four books out. How did how did all this start? Um, well, I was a creative writing English major in undergrad, but then I, I ended up going to grad school for library and information studies. Um, and I was a public librarian. And um, I had kind of had a lot of big changes in my life. I had just graduated grad school. Um, I had just gotten married. I had just moved away from home, like all of these big changes. Um, had a full-time job for the first time. And I had, I was living in Houston, Texas and I had this horrible commute. Um, it was like an hour and a half each way. Ooh. And, um, yeah, so that's I had pretty a lot horrible. Of, yeah. Um, I think most people that have been in Houston know what I'm talking about. Um, and I had all this time to kind of think. And I basically on my commute started plotting a book and I, I some of it came from, I missed kind of the creative outlet of writing research papers and stuff like that from school. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I started writing as I, I plotted this book on my commute. And then finally I decided that I was going to sit down and write it. And that book was controlled burn. That's an awesome story. Thank you. What led you into putting this creativity towards MM romance amongst all of the genres that were possible? Yeah. Um, some of it I think is that I, I was reading a lot of it at that time. Um, I kind of got into MM romance, I guess if we're going farther back by reading Suzanne Brockman, mm -hmm. right? So she has the, the troubleshooter series, um, that has Jules Cassidy, who's the gay FBI agent, right? And he's got the kind of the secondary romance through several books and then the primary through a, a novella. Um, and then whenever I was in grad school, 
I, I kind of didn't have time to read for pleasure very much. And so I wasn't reading very much. And then I took a class about reader's advisory that we had to read, um, like the books from the best books of the year for Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and stuff. And I just kind of, I can't remember what year it was, but I, I grabbed kind of a random book off the romance list. Um, and it ended up being Brothers of the Wild North Sea by Harper Fox. Um, and I didn't really realize that it was a male male romance. I just kind of grabbed it and started reading it. And then it, it became quite clear, <laughs> you know, very early on that it was. Um, and it's a beautiful book. Um, Harper Fox, you know, is a beautiful writer. Everything that she writes is really awesome. Um, and so I kind of gobbled up everything that she had written. And then it kind of hit me at that time. There has to be other writers that are doing this. And it, it you know, they weren't the books that were in the libraries, they weren't in my libraries. So I kind of started searching them out and, um, you know, read a lot of Kay Mitchell and, and Z.A. Maxfield and some of those authors um, at that time that, that were the most prolific. Um, and was just very excited because I felt like there were all these authors that I had never heard of that I didn't know about and they were all really, really good. Um, and they were writing, you know, stories that kind of the themes were very important to me. Um, and so then whenever I finally eventually decide to sit down and, and write a book, I, I think probably the main thing for me is that I wanted to write characters who are LGBTQIA in Oklahoma. Um, and just happened to be that the first book that kind of came to mind and that I plotted fully was an MM romance and control burn. So that's definitely how I got started. That's very cool. And some, some great authors there to get you introduced to the genre as well. Uh, who do you count as your author influences? Um, well, definitely, you know, my, my gateways were Suzanne Brockman into romance in general, um, and then Harper Fox. Um, kind of on a wider scale, I really like Alicia Rye. She kind of, she writes the heroines that are the type of heroines that I just love. They're raunchy and rowdy um, and wonderful. Um, I would say also Annabeth Albert in terms of contemporary romance. Um, Alexis Hall, I think, kind of teaches, it, or his books are like a master class on first person point of view. Um, if you look at For Real or, or Glitterland, and so I really, really like his books too. Now your bio mentions that you like binge worthy TV shows. <laughs> so of course we have to know what are you binging these days or have binged recently that you would recommend? So, um, my husband and I have been rewatching game of Thrones, of course, because it's the last season's about to come out. Um, but when you binge that show, you just kind of realize how many awful things happen. <laughs> back to back to back. <laughs> um, and cause the first time that we watched it, we didn't binge it. We were watching it week to week, but when you're binge watching it, it's like, Oh my God, it's so awful. These things that keep happening. Um, other than that, I really like, uh, I like true crime, but I'm not watching any kind of true crime right now. Um, and I like comedies. So I've watched Shit's Creek recently, which I love. Um, the Good Place, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, One Day at a Time, all these sitcoms that I think are really good. Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, because I love musicals, is really good. And then um, 
I also watch a lot of like reality TV. <laughs> so <laughs> I like like Tiny House Hunters and Instant Hotel and Project Runway t- shows kind of like that. Very cool. Yeah, some good stuff on there. Good, <laughs> good place is a particular a favorite. Yeah, it's so smart. It's so different than like, yeah, it's very, very unique. Yeah. So this is a great list for everybody who's looking for something to binge the spring right here. <laughs> <laughs> so what's coming up next for you uh, in your release plans? Um, so I don't have anything kind of set in stone. I'm not, I'm not very good at planning I have tornado chasers or storm chasers. Um, that's a male male romance that I have on submission right now to uh, a publisher that I'm hoping will pick it up. If they don't, then, you know, it'll keep going out and hopefully somebody else will want it. Um, I'm currently writing a book about a, a rec league softball team. And I, I really, I want those to be really, really tropey and kind of fun and light. Um, the first one is using kind of the one bed trope. So, uh, I hope that that will be a lot of fun. I'll write Alex's story pretty soon. Um, and then I have a book that I wrote, um, that I'm hoping to put out at Christmas. It's called stocking stuffers. Um, and it's a MF romance with a, a bi heroine who sells sex toys. Um, you know, like the Tupperware parties, but yeah. it's like the, you know, the sex toy Tupperware parties kind of. Um, and so she, she, works for a company kind of is the marketing person for a company like that. And she's hosting one of those parties gets snowed in, um, you know, with a big red bag of toys. That would make an interesting forced proximity story. Yeah. It's it was a lot of fun to write. And I'm very interested in the storm chasers too, because I'm kind of a weather geek at heart. So you kind of got me on that one. It was a lot of fun to write. Growing up in Oklahoma, you know, tornadoes are such a kind of a constant, really. I mean, my parents have lost a house in a tornado. I know lots of people that have lost houses in a tornado. It's so common. It's just kind of a part of your life, especially if you're from central Oklahoma like me. Um, And so it's, yeah, it was a really fun one to write because you are just kind of entrenched in bad weather in Oklahoma in the spring all the time. So. Very cool. And how can readers keep up with you online to keep track of all these projects? Um, so I have a, a Facebook group called Aaron McClellan's Meet Cute. Um, that's a good one. If you kind of, I, I do giveaways and book recs and stuff. On Twitter, my handle is E McClellan Writes, and I'm on Twitter pretty often. Um, on Instagram, it's Aaron McClellan Writes, and on Instagram, I would say it's about seventy percent. Um, Alaska stuff, like every moose that I've ever seen, and then thirty percent books, <laughs> unless there's a book release and then it flips. But it's a lot of Alaska if you follow me on Instagram, and then my newsletter, which you can get to on my website or through any of the social media, too. You would be able to kind of find the link to my newsletter, and that's probably the best way if you just want like to know about new releases or sales or things like that without having to kind of trudge through Twitter. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Well, we thank, I thank you so much for coming to talk to us about Clean Break and wish you all the success on that one and, and the upcoming releases as well. Thank you so much. It was so fun. Thanks again to Erin for coming to talk about all things Clean Break this week. It was a great time getting to talk to her. Yeah. 
All right, guys, I think that's going to do it for this week's show. Did you know that you can help support the Big Gay Fiction Podcast with a monthly pledge through Patreon? The additional support of our super fans helps pay for the cost of producing and distributing this show. Joining is super easy and you'll get special access to monthly bonus episodes and the opportunity to ask questions of our upcoming guests. Uh, for all the details, simply go to patreon.com slash biggayfictionpodcast. Now, coming up next week, Lisa, she's going to join us once again and she's going to have some book recommendations. Yeah, she's already given me some little hints of what she's got coming and i think it's going to be really interesting to hear about what she's been reading all right guys remember no matter where life takes you the journey will always be sweeter when you have a book until next time everyone please keep turning those pages and keep reading for detailed show notes and links to everything discussed in this episode go to biggayfictionpodcast.com new episodes are available every monday at all major podcast distributors you can also find us on YouTube. I'm Derek McLean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>